What's going on, brothers of discussion? This is Big Kevin, Fanboy Dave, coming at you today. It's episode 42, and Fanboy Dave, we hadn't talked about this, but man, it's been over a year since we've been podcasting. Now, we've been off and on in the past couple months, but it's definitely been over a year. Uh, we started this back last summer uh, in July, because I remember I was in coaching school in San Antonio, I think the first couple episodes, and uh, man... Happy one year. We hadn't talked about that, but I want to make sure because that's a big highlight. One year. Brothers one discussion. year with Big Kev. Um, and yeah, it's been a little spotty, but thanks to our listeners that have been with us since the beginning. Mimo, Joey, you know, and some of the other ones. Um, and yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll get on a routine. I mean, it looks like we're going to find something where we can get back to weekly episodes, but for the moment, still playing around with that. But, yeah, time does go by fast, man. Can you believe it? You were a coaching school or, or whatever, and now you're in Corpus Christi running the show. Man, it's – uh yeah, it's time does literally fly by, it's, especially as you get older because you have that perception of time, you know, going. It's kind of like being a little kid, and you're like, I can't wait till Christmas. I can't wait till Christmas. And Christmas felt like it was forever. But now as an adult, man – we have that perception of, of time and it goes quick. But uh, speaking of going quick, man, SummerSlam is just literally one week away. Uh, August 5th coming to you at Detroit. We have some big events coming up. We have Raw coming in San Antonio. Uh, not San Antonio. I apologize. Houston. It'll be in Houston this Monday night. And before that, it's going to be in Austin. Of course, when I move, NXT comes in and they're going to roll in at the Cedar Park HEB Center for the NXT American Bash. So we got some good things coming to Texas uh, for the next couple of days. But then again, SummerSlam next week, Saturday, August 5th in Detroit. So uh, I think that show is going to be rocking. Definitely pun intended on that. Detroit Rock City. Um, it's going to be good stuff. And today's episode, guys, is talking about SummerSlam specifically. Some of the matches that we... Um, Remembered from years past, uh, maybe it was the actual SummerSlam card, but those are the, some of the topics we wanted to talk today, all things SummerSlam. Get some nostalgia in here. And to kick it off, Fanboy Dave, I'm just going to throw it out there. One of my favorite SummerSlam matches of all time was the WWE Tag Team title match. This was the first time we saw a three-way TLC match, and, and this was uh, two, year 2000. And you already know where I'm going with this was Edge and Christian taking on the Dudleys and the Harley Hardy Boys. Uh, what is your thoughts on this one? Uh, oh, yeah, that match basically put tag team um, on the map. I mean, you had never seen uh, the things that were done until that time between these three teams that had a great chemistry um, with each other in the ring. And um it was just uh, phenomenal to see and very dangerous, you know, and you would have to say that success of that match allowed like TLC matches with tables, ladders, and chairs to continue to this day. Uh, had it not been for the success of those three uh, tag teams raising that bar from the jump, because I mean, you can still watch that match now and be like, unbelievable. Um, the moves they did. Um, I mean, you just didn't know who was going to win. I mean, fan favorites, <clears throat> excuse me. And then you would just have, you know, you know, team 
uh, the Dudley boys and Edge and Christian and the Hardys, you had fans, you know, cheering for all three different teams and, you know, getting the win. You didn't know who was going to win. Yeah, and don't be confused. This was not WrestleMania 18 when it was just the tables and ladders. This is when the Edge and Christian, they were the Hill Tag Team champions. They had the chairs, the Hardy had the ladders, and the Dudleys had the tables. And uh, we definitely put them all together here at SummerSlam 2000 for the uh, first ever uh, three-way tag team uh, for the titles, the tables, ladders, and chairs. Uh, one of the memorable spots for me in this one uh, was when Bubba did a full Nelson bomb on Christian off the ladder. Um, that was incredible. Uh, of course, at 18, everyone remembers that one where, you know, Edge did the spear uh, when Hardy was hanging off the uh, the uh, briefcase or a case, if you will, up at the it top. Was, but it was, uh, what did the belts, the little belt? Yeah, it was the belt. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, I couldn't remember. It's not a money in the bank because I was kind of slowing down in my tracks. And I was like, that's not the money. That's not right. But yeah, it was the belt. Now, that was amazing. That was 18, but SummerSlam 2000, when we incorporated the chairs here, um, it was uh, absolutely incredible. That was a great match. If you hadn't seen it, go check it out on Peacock, WWE Network. It was SummerSlam 2000. Fanboy Dave, what about you, man? What was one of your matches um, back in the day that uh, that you really enjoy, that really sticks out to you? When you think of SummerSlam, you think of what? Uh, well, there's a couple of matches. Um... But one of my fondest memories, because as many people know, I mean, I am a Shawn Michaels Heartbreak Kid uh, fan. And in SummerSlam of 1992, um, you know, Shawn Michaels fought, if you would have to say, maybe one of the first flamboyant um, wrestlers before Shawn Michaels was in the WWE. But he fought the model, Rick Martel. And, you know, Rick Martel would have the little spray and he would use that to make us smell good or use it as a weapon. And, you know, having these two um, superstars relatively almost like the same gimmick, but a little different. Shawn Michaels were a little bit more brash and Rick, the mother Martel was just, you know, trying to just always just look pretty. And just to show that, um, you know, Shawn, you know, up and coming in, in the 90s, you know, after he split with the Rockers, you know, trying to make it on his own. And, um, I mean, that match just, um, you know, resonates with me just because I wanted to be like Shawn Michaels. And even though it ended in, I believe it ended in a countout. Let me see. I, I'm trying yeah, to that was actually one of my favorite matches. I know that match very well. They were not supposed to hit each other in the face. And if you recall, Sherry Martell was with Shawn Michaels. Sensational. S sensational, Sherry. That's right. But Sherry Monteau, as we know her, but yeah, sensational Sherry. She was with Michaels as her, as her, uh, as his manager. And, um, but you know, Rick Martel, the little older, handsome guy, the model, right? Uh, he was, you know, giving Sherry looks and things throughout the week on WWE superstars and, and things of that nature. And I remember that match very well because we're going to talk a lot about 92. That's, uh, you know, everyone knows 92. Well, you know, Royal Rumble, but then also they know the SummerSlam because of the card and, of course, it's going to get to our number one match, at least in my opinion. Yeah. But and yeah, I know that match very well. Yeah, just ending in a double count out. Well, you do if you remember, Sherry faked like she passed out. I mean, I I I'd seen this pay-per-view millions of times. She you know, you know, acts like she passes out, and that's when the guys have at it and punch at each other in her face. 
Uh, yeah. Man, it was a good match. It was fun. I, I agree. That was a good one. Going on, what uh, I'm, I'm going to go shoot off to uh, another match. And we saw this match at WrestleMania 10. It was epic. Okay. It was the first ever, you know, in the WWE wise, or we should say back then, WWF was Shawn Michaels. There he is again, the heartbreak kid uh, cracking my top three versus Razor Ramon, 1995. It was the second ladder match. Um, sensational job. I don't think it definitely topped the WrestleMania 10 because it's hard to duplicate that first one. And they did it, you know, they did it such a great match there. Um, but yeah, they go on to WrestleMania, jumping over to SummerSlam that same year, a couple months later, and do a part two to this ladder match. Um, I can't say much, say enough about those two. They had some really great chemistry. The bad guy and the heartbreak kid. Yeah. True classic. Very classic. I want to give an honorable mention, even though we're not doing all that. But one of, and again, you know, in 1994, uh, I was 14 you know, watching SummerSlam and the fact of, you know, just being a young teenager, you know, the biggest main event there. And I believe that was in, uh, yeah, Chicago, the United States center or United center. It was the undertaker versus the undertaker. And, you know, in the way the WWE did the vignettes and how, you know, keeping it dark because it looked like there was two undertakers. And as a kid, they're like, no way there's two undertakers. And having them fight that, even though, again, like I said, honorable mention, it wasn't that good of a match. But being a 14-year-old uh, kid or teenager being like, how are they going to pull this off? And I think they did all right, you know, having Undertaker versus Undertaker. Yeah, I agree. Undertaker was my favorite wrestler growing up. Of course, I, I really like Sean and I really like Brett. It's kind of hard. It's kind of one of those oxymorons. You can't really say Brett and Sean in the same sentence. But I really did. And um but Undertaker, hands down, was my favorite. It was a, the character, the persona, because um, it was one of those, man, you can't beat this guy. But uh, I do remember that vividly as well. Um, you know, uh, Ted DiBiase had his Undertaker, and then, you know, Paul Bear had his Undertaker. And it was like, no, I have the Undertaker. So, yeah, SummerSlam 94 went down. The purple Undertaker, the true Undertaker, defeated the Ted DiBiase's Undertaker, which obviously we knew was not the real Undertaker at all um one of my honorable mentions super classic match because these guys can go mr perfect and bret hart 91 SummerSlam intercontinental title i mean that really put bret on the map after he beat Kurt henning as we know as him in the wwf and wwe as mr perfect uh you remember that match that was the one when uh you saw Stu and ellen in the in the in the crowd and uh they're watching their boy bret hart uh take down Mr. Perfect and winning the Intercontinental title back in 91. Yeah, no, and it was just, you know, the excellence of execution versus Mr. Perfect. And, I mean, it was a, a really entertaining match with multiple moves. And, um, you know, even though, um, I mean, Kurt Haining is a Hall of Famer, I still don't think he gets enough credit for what he was able to do, not only in the ring, but I have to say of all the commentators that we have, Mr. Perfect was probably one of the best up there as being a commentator. And when he used to do the little pencil flip, I mean, and I think even Corey Graves copied him doing that some from time to time. But yeah, Mr. Perfect, phenomenal uh, superstar. I thought you were going to say out of the ring, his, uh, you know, his uh, country singing. I thought you were going to say. 
I don't know. Did you remember him doing the country yeah, singing with the WCW? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thought uh, you were going to bring that up. I hate rap. I hate rap. <laughs> um, hey, one of my uh, forgettable SummerSlams. Let's talk about a forgettable SummerSlam match. Uh, two that you thought was going to tear the house down. This was, again, in Madison Square Garden. There's a reoccurring theme here at Madison Square Garden. Back in the 90s, WWF, that was the place to wrestle. 98. Undertaker taking on Stone Cold Steve Boston. It just did not live up to the hype. Those guys just did not have that chemistry we were hoping for. Stone Cold was so hot. And the Undertaker, you know, he was in the uh, the Ministry of Darkness, that type of stuff. But, man, just something just didn't go well for this, this match. Now, was it entertaining? Yeah, because the guys were so over at the time. And we know, obviously, Stone Cold was huge and massive. And then the Undertaker's that veteran that's been around and, has that respect from the WWE universe, but the match itself just was not what, you know, it is what it is, you know, and we've heard on the podcast of Stone Cold and things like what he says, it is what it is, but uh, I felt like those two could have done better. So one of those, as far as the unforgettable, you know, that should have been one of the classics. uh, That was it for me. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you're right about that. Uh, one of my other favorite SummerSlams was SummerSlam 2000. The triple threat match between The Great One, The Rock versus uh, Triple H and Stone, Cold. and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Jesse Ventura was the referee. Yeah. Is that, that's correct? Okay, yeah. I remember that one too. I mean, that match, um, you know, three Hall of Famers. I mean, mega stars, and of course, it was 2000, so I was getting ready to, man, I'm putting myself out there, getting ready to graduate. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, who who didn't want to be be like The Rock and Stone Cold and, you know, Attitude Air, um, you know, in the 2000s or, you know, after 98. I mean, it was still uh, hot. I mean, mega stars in, in those three and of course, you know, getting the win, the great one retaining his title in that triple threat match. But I mean, The Rock was just so phenomenal. His catchphrases. I mean, what a what a good what a good match in, in 2000 to be like, man, SummerSlam. It, it, it was it was a phenomenal back then pay-per-view um that I really enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely. And and just go back to last year, you know, I'm just, I just, I just thought about this. It just came to my head. I was not going to talk about it, um, but I wanted to also keep something relevant. Uh, Logan Paul had a phenomenal SummerSlam match with the Miz last year. I mean, we were definitely raving about it. He did phenomenal. Miz did his part. That was there in Nashville last year. Um, I just want to throw that out there as an honorable mention. It was definitely not something to forget because we, we thought, you know, we talked about it for weeks, um, it was all over social media and things of that nature. I just wanted to give uh, uh, props to Logan Paul, you know, something relevant in time, because we're talking about things, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So I wanted to uh, throw that out there. Um, but yeah, man, uh, SummerSlam. And one match that comes to mind, and again, we're talking about the 92 SummerSlam card. Uh, you talked about Shawn Michaels, and you talked about uh, – Mark Tell, Rick Martell on that card. An un, uh, unforgettable match on that card was definitely hands down. Uh, Randy Savage and Ultimate Warrior. And we and you brought this up before we jumped on recording. 
And that was the, one of the rare times that you saw two baby faces where you had 80,000 fans going wild for both guys. They didn't know who's going to win. The only time we saw that before um, was the Hulk Hogan uh, warrior match at Mania 7. You got to remember back then, WWF was definitely good guys versus bad guys. So you did not get these type of matches where you had two baby faces going at it. And those guys tore it down. I mean, it was a good long match. It wasn't your typical warrior squash match. I thought Randy Savage really carried that match. And then they both did a phenomenal job. That was definitely unforgettable because you didn't know who you wanted to go for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, warrior gets a lot of flack, you know, being like something not to say, because I would never, um, you know, diss Ultimate Warrior and put him in the Goldberg status, but you know, he had a couple of moves or whatever. But if if Warrior was in there with someone like a Macho Man Randy Savage, or someone that could carry the match, I mean, that could make the Warrior look powerful enough to believe like he could go, you know, 15, 20 minutes. I mean, that just shows the respect and the athleticism of his opponent and no one did it better than the macho man Randy Savage brother and so yeah this match was really really good and the funny thing is that you know we hadn't really said but 1992 was in Wembley Stadium um, and that wasn't even the main event and just to go back into time whenever it was WCW or WWE or whatever promotion, like their your main event is usually um your title match because that's what you know you fight for. And for them, you know, not to be the main event, just we'll show when you talk about it later how important this 1992 SummerSlam was in history. And um, yeah, it was just a good match for the Ultimate War and the Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, that's a um, good pointing that out because, yeah, today, nowadays, the heavyweight title sometimes doesn't go on last. It might be the women's title or it might be, for instance, when the Usos had a main event tag team match first time ever. Um, or it doesn't get defended at all because Roman Reigns doesn't want to wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But you're correct, man. Back then, it was the heavyweight title, the world championship WWE heavyweight title uh, or the championship match um, or title belt. I should say, um, was not one of those second to the last match. It was the match, but you're right. Um, it was the second one on the card that night as far as the main event goes. But, uh, yeah, absolutely, man. 92 was good. A match that I definitely want to forget was Nils and Virgil. I just – that one sticks out like, really? Come on. He was awful. One match that I remember, if we're just talking about 92 – that uh, I love because, again, Undertaker growing up was Kamala and Undertaker in the casket match. And, man, Kamala played that character so well. He was very scared of that casket. He wanted to go near that casket, and Undertaker stuffs him in there, and uh, Undertaker gets the win at, at SummerSlam 92. I just remember that card very well. The Beverly brothers were on there, Natural Disasters, IRS, and um, Ted DiBiase, you know, tag teaming. Uh, man, I have fond memories of that. Uh, I have that on VHS tape, by the way. I remember remember back in the day, H-E-B, and for people who don't know who H, what H-E-B is, it's the grocery place, grocery store in Texas, because I know we have some international international uh, fans that listen to the podcast, but that's where you go get groceries. But back in the day, they used to have a video store 
a lot of people don't remember that, but they did. And I remember they were going out of business. They started getting away from their little video store and they had these VHS tapes, WWF tapes back in the day for $1.50. And I begged my mom, Hey, can I please get some? And she gave me, she gave me 10 bucks. She said, get you, get you, you know, get you five or six or whatever. And that was one VHS WWF tape that I picked out and I still have it. It's actually in my garage. I'm unpacking things as it is. And um, I'll definitely treasure that one. So I'm, that's funny. You brought SummerSlam 92 up in some of those matches. Cause that's one of the ones that I just would watch re religiously because we didn't have the WWE network back then. Huh, Dave? We did not. Um, but you know, like we are reminiscing, but I do have to give kudos to last year's SummerSlam. I think overall it was a good one, but the tribal chief versus Brock Lesnar in a last man standing match. Um, that's when Brock um, brought out that tractor and put up, um, you know, the ring, like at a, a 45 degree angle. I mean, that match was, it was just fun. And it was just, you know, cause we don't normally get to see Brock Lesnar as a face, but he is funny when he is a face and he's not having to be the monster that he is. And it just reminds me whenever he won the money in the bank and he had like the little boom box. I oh, mean, that was fantastic. I, you know, Brock is just funny in that match. It lived up to everything because, you know, I mean, Brock is a beast. And, you know, back then we were like, you know, Roman's not going to be able to beat them because previously before uh, the wise man was with uh, the tribal chief, I mean, he was the advocate for the beast incarnate, Brock Lesnar, and Brock would beat everybody. So, I mean, that match was just uh, great. Of course, the bloodline coming out and helping, but having to keep Brock down. I mean, I mean, yeah, I remember that. And I know you, I think you told me about it, but just how smooth Roman Reigns was when Brock was talking on the mic and he throws it and nobody, oh. and Roman just catches it like nothing. Hey, Tennessee Titans, you signed D-Hop, one of the best receivers in the league and, and arguably definitely top three ever. Uh, you might want to check Roman Reigns out. Maybe he can play tight end for you, man. He got some hands because yeah, that was that was a crazy capture uh, that they even caught that on camera. That was that was wild. It almost looked fake, but it, there's no way you can fake that. I mean, it was it was like he threw it at him. Like you're talking about Brock freaking Lesnar throwing. It's like us throwing a pebble. He threw that mic right into uh, Roman Reigns' hands. It was smooth. I was like, was that scripted? What what the heck? But yeah, man, that was definitely fun, and it it kind of humanizes Brock Lesnar uh, when he plays that has that goofball kind of mentality. It's fun to watch him having fun, and then being in his element on that tractor. I agree, and it's something we've never seen. We've never seen some type of equipment pick up a ring like that. I mean, we saw uh, when Stone Cold brought down the Zamboni and hits the ring, but it you know never lifted the ring up to to you know have Roman slide out and fall out of the ring. That that was pretty cool, man. That was pretty neat. Hey, we can go on forever because there was a lot of good matches, man. Um, Kurt, we hadn't even talked about Kurt Angle and uh, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Eddie Guerrero has some memorable matches at uh, SummerSlam as well with Rey Mysterio as well. Um, Kurt Angle, Snow Cold back in a one. Uh, list goes on. One of the matches that is going to be talked about in just a second is our number one match. Uh, and we've already talked about Bret Hart already in SummerSlam 91, but also with his brother, Owen Hart, in 94, they had that cage match, if you remember, uh, back at the Royal Rumble when Owen Hart turned on him in 94. Um, we get to WrestleMania 10, and then that's when Owen uh, got the win. 
He got the win on Bret Hart, even though Bret Hart went on to fight Yokozuna in that double title match when Lex Luger lost to Yoko. Bret wins the championship belt, and Owen's like, dude, I beat him earlier in the match. How's he even the champion? But we get it here. We get it here in the cage match, the brother versus brother feud, and it really, really just that whole year, 94 was Owen's year, really uh, got him out of the shadows, if you will. But I remember that uh, match very well because obviously Brett was big. Owen was coming up and it was that epic blue steel cage that we see back in the day. Uh, thoughts on that? Because you, if you remember, the Hart family was in the front row watching that um, and they were kind of betraying uh, Stu and Ellen. Stu was like, let the boys fight it out. But Ellen was definitely like, you could see the emotion. She didn't want to see her boys fighting with one another. But man, Great match, man. Phenomenal match. Owen versus Bret Hart. Go check that out. 94 SummerSlam. Um, thoughts on that match? Yeah, you got to understand that, you know, Bret Hart, you know, and they even showed like vignettes or whatever. And, you know, the 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 dungeon, the Hart dungeon, I mean, it took a very special person to make it through that and graduate. And, of course, Bret Hart was the darling. And it was just like one of those things, like, a Brett, 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 and the animosity between Owen, because Owen in his right mind was a phenomenal wrestler as well, too. But he didn't get the the praises of Brett or to see Owen Hart as that's my guy. That's that's the guy that can be the face of the company. You know, just we'll give him tag titles, but more of a mid-card guy. But Owen, I mean, was a, a phenomenal wrestler. And I love the fact how they did that because, yeah, it was always the Hart Foundation, no matter if it was Jim Nam, the Nightheart, the British Bulldog. It was still all a faction around Bret Hart and how Owen was able to channel that and to turn it to like, okay, well, I'm the Black Heart of, you know, if, you know the foundation or whatever and making it his own and being a uh, two-time Slammy winner. I don't know if Bret Hart was a two-time Slammy winner, but Owen Hart was that. And yeah, to... I guess to some of these wrestlers, you know, you get to fight, you know, your tag team partner or something like that, or maybe like your brother. I mean, I guess you do want to see, um, <clears throat> can I hang? Um, am I the best or can I surpass them? You know, it's like one of those things, like when Stone Cold and The Rock, there's only one spot, the number one spot. And I think Owen did really well in this match to say, hey, I belong. Like I, I can go with the best of the best and, and show, show out. Yeah, absolutely, man. Owen Hart, uh, definitely one of my favorites. So entertaining. And then of course you hear the stories of like who he was as a human, uh, just a super kind soul. And then obviously a jokester and prankster, uh, which is fond memories, man. Uh, we talked about it before. I mean, I don't want to get into, into this too much, but I, I mean, we're talking about Owen here and, um, uh, Man, Owen, if you recall, when Brett left to WCW, Owen stayed at WWE, and he was starting to get a real good push. You know, I'm not the nugget, and he was the black heart here. And he got into this more serious role, and then he got with Jeff, you know, Jeff Jarrett, his tag team, and then he went into the Blue Blazer. But, man, it's if one of those wrestlers that you say, what if, you know, that unfortunate event in Kemper Arena in Kansas City, that did not happen back in 98 – where would Owen be today? Um, he bet definitely would have been the all-time great in the Hall of Fame. No question about that. Um, and we missed out on some potential 
fantastic matches. I really wanted to see him uh, take on someone like Eddie Guerrero when the Radicals came through, um, Rob Van Dam, some of those guys um, that could do those type of maneuvers that Owen was one of the first ones to to do. Um, anyway, Jeff Hardy would have been a great to see against Owen. Of course, Owen was getting older at the time, but still, I think he would have gone, you know, especially being in that family. Yeah, but he would, um, would have been a good veteran to learn under his tr learning tree. For sure. Absolutely, man. But I hey, let's do, stick. Yeah, I'll, give you, I'll give you my, my, my number one, and then you can give me your number one. So my number one is actually funny, but SummerSlam 2005, Hulk Hogan versus Shawn Michaels. And where How Shawn did I, I – that's your number one, really? Really? Yes, yes that's my number one. Unbelievable. The way how Shawn had to do – had to play business because he basically buried Hogan when they did the version of Larry King, and he's like, well, brother – it doesn't matter what city I'm in. They already gave me their money. So, you know, he's just like, I just do the big cities. And then basically Sean was making fun of him. Like if it was Madison Square Garden, he wouldn't go to like uh, Nebraska, Sydney, because it's small. But basically saying that Hogan was just a big money guy and uses creative control because how mad Hogan was at the match because Shawn Michaels oversold that match big time. And that's how Shawn Michaels got over. And I'm sure he ticked off a lot of people backstage, but that's got to be one. Remember of my that, uh, because Hogan was selling. He was mad, legit. But you know, I'll let I'll let you uh, take your number one, which it's gonna beat mine. But of course, I always like that because Shawn Michaels went into business for himself. And I was waiting for you to bring that match up. You know, you got the icon versus icon uh, match, and uh, yeah, I remember when Hogan was hitting him with those big fists. Shawn Michaels super oversell, like he was flipping out of the ring in the turn. You know, when he was against the turnbuckle, I won't forget that image. That's funny you brought that up. I forgot, almost forgot about that. Um, but yeah, obviously number one was probably the number one on many's you know many people's list was the Intercontinental Title match against Davy Boy in his hometown. Um, taking on Brett, Bret Hart. So it looks like Bret Hart, Fanboy Dave, we got a lot more Bret Hart matches in the top, you know, top 10, if you will, of SummerSlam than your boy HBK. But uh, uh, this match obviously was phenomenal. Uh, again, it was not Savage and Warrior as the main event, but this was the main event, and the crowd was hot for both of them. Um, and Bret Hart, you know, wants to say he carried the match, but Bulldog definitely held his own. And like Savage and Warrior, Davy Boy was the muscular strength, muscular endurance. Bret Hart and Shawn, uh, and uh, I said Shawn Michaels, but Shawn Michaels is this too. Um, going back to that Savage match, Savage and Bret had a correlation in the sense they had the musk, uh, cardiovascular endurance here. And um, but man, you would have you would have told me different that match that night for both matches. Warrior and Davy Boy they held their own cardiovascular wise. They went the distance. And um, no different from the Savage Warrior match. This one went long and both, I mean, the fans were, I, I wish I was at this card, to be honest, because these last two matches put on at the end of the night, uh, the, the fans were going bonkers, especially when you have the British Bulldog wrestling in his home country. And you, you're you just torn as a fan because Bret Hart's a super hot baby face in the United States. And then here's Bulldog. He's super hot because he's the hometown hometown hero and bulldog ends up getting the win and the class act of brett at the end hugging and shaking hands uh man what a memorable night for for years and years and we're still talking about it 30 years down the road 
Well, yeah, because the fans were split. Uh, they didn't know who to go for. You know, the hometown hero, uh, the face of the company. And um, when the British Bulldog did get that uh, pin, um, I think it was a sunslip flip, and he pulled his legs over and got the one, two, three. That that uh, stadium erupted, and it was it was great uh, to see that the British Bulldog to get that win. And um, you know, he's he was he still never made it to like main event status, but I mean, he got close. I mean, he had a great look, great physique. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just a good match and a good uh, feeling story for him to get that win in, in his home country. Well, they talk about, you know, that really helped put Bulldog on the map for beating someone like Brett at the time. And of course we know them, they're real, you know, in life, they were brother, you know, brother-in-laws. Um, but this wrestling also put Brett Hart on the map from the company, you know, really elevating another superstar. And then two months later, Brett goes on to win his first WWF title. So that both this match really did huge for both individuals. Um, it just created good memories for a lifetime for me and for the casual fan, WWF fan. Um, probably one of the greatest ones of all time matches, period, not just SummerSlam, but uh, this was an absolutely great storyline. You know, it was kind of a family kind of, you know, it was one of those good problems where both guys were elevated to such, but the problem, the good problem, quote unquote, was they were family. And uh, again, it was one of those situations where you didn't really have the, the the bad family member versus the good family member until two years later down the road with Owen and Brett. But yeah, man, Bulldog, phenomenal shape, great look. Um, I was torn as a fan because I really, you know, obviously with a little Bulldog and you're a little kid, you like British Bulldog, but then Brett was that that hero. Um, I was torn as a fan. Do you kind of remember, as I'm kind of rambling on, uh, back in 92, who you were going for in this match, British Bulldog or, or Bret Hart? Is that even a question? I'm a Shawn Michaels fan. I was going for the British Bulldog. So you were still a Shawn Michaels fan even back. I mean, Shawn Michaels was great. Don't get me wrong. But were you really that big of a Shawn Michaels fan back in 92? Yeah, man. I, I was a Rockers I mean, fan. we love the Rockers. And so but... when they broke up, yeah, I was a Shawn Michaels fan. I've always been a Shawn Michaels fan. So Okay. But, and we never really uh, talked about that. You know, I really never talked about that to you. Like, when did you actually just dedicate your life to being a Shawn Michaels fan? Well, that could be for another podcast. But yeah, absolutely, man. To reminisce on SummerSlam and to let the fans know that, you know, some of our favorite matches or favorite, uh, favorite uh, SummerSlams um, is great. Um, let's uh, take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk recap of Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown. Don't you go anywhere. Big Kev and Fanboy Day will be right back. And we're back. So, you know, we gave some of our highlights of some of our favorite summer slams that we enjoyed matches and the card. And before we get started about what happened on Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, congratulations to Dirty Dom. And last week um, that we didn't get to talk about, Dirty Dom is your new North American champion. He's got gold. So congratulations, Dirty Dom. What do you think, Kev? Yeah, man, this is great. It's one of those things that we talked and we're giving big kudos to WWE is and NXT is blending some of that main roster talent with NXT. There's definitely good with it. Um, and we here's an example of a main event superstar on the 
And that's debatable what people think about Dom as a performer. He should be in NXT or should he really be on main event? But right now he's on the main event roster. But here he is in NXT winning the gold, you know, uh, here at NXT a couple weeks ago. And But here's the deal. He he's definitely dirty dumb because he didn't get a clean get the clean win right there. He had he had some help there on NXT, but here we are going into Monday Night Raw, uh, and you got your new North American champion, Dominic Mysterio. And yeah. let's just talk about it. Let's the and, and it opens up Raw. Let's just go into it right now. Raw opens up with Rhea Ripley, Damian Priest, Finn Balor in the ring. One thing I liked about this was. We've seen their entrance time after time, and it's a little slow entrance, and we'll probably see it throughout the match later on. I mean, throughout the night later on. So I do like how they were just already in the ring and they are ready to go. Um, but do you uh, do you like them kicking this off? I think this is a great spot because, hey, here is Dominic Mysterio is your North American championship uh, winner from this past Saturday. Yeah, no, it was or last Tuesday, I should say. Right. It was it was great because getting already the heat on Dominic and the Judgment Day. But it's also great to see that Judgment Day have put their issues behind. It looks like they're a, a solid unit again. And um, it was just great to see them do that because, I mean, when they're together, they're tough to beat. Um, but, yeah, them to start off for all, uh, I think was good to get the crowd already um, in that mood to start just – booing the heck out of Dirty Dom and some of the Judgment Day. And they get interrupted uh, from the jump. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn come out, huge pop. Uh, they interrupt the Judgment Day. KO yelled at Dom, told him to shut his mouth forever. Like, no one wants to hear him. Uh, the best part about the segment to me was uh, uh, Kevin Owens trying to keep himself calm. It, it was hilarious. It was funny. It was good stuff, man. Um, but through the process of this promo at the beginning – uh, Rhea Ripley basically accepts uh, Sami Zayn's uh, challenge, and they we're going to eventually see Sami Zayn taking on Dom later on in the night. Um, what's your thoughts about Sami Zayn? Now we got a tag team, and but now we got Sami Zayn going off to a singles competition against Dominic later on in the night. Well, I think it was smart because you know you have to have um, the Judgment Day to do something and singles competition versus tag is great but it was also funny because the last week they had um fought them for the titles and so sammy was like well this time you put your title on the line so now it's going to be a north american championship match and dom was looked all worried and re-accepted for him she's like you got this so now it was interesting that the main event and just to tell you we can talk about when we get there that Dirty Dom is doing his due diligence that, I mean, he's main evented Monday Night Raw for a couple of weeks. And you're not going to get that spot unless you're doing something to uh, make the powers that be. He's like, no, we need him in the main event. So kudos to Dirty Dom doing his job and being a great heel because, you know, we have both been skeptical, you know, months way before all this happened. Could Dirty Dom be a, a, a heel that people would hate and, He's proven his haters wrong, and he's doing a really, really good job. No, I was going to bring that up, too. We'll talk about it briefly here, but we'll talk about the match with Sammy and him later. But, yeah, Dom is uh, in the main event status here. And 
everyone wants to see him get his butt whipped. I mean, no one likes Dom. I mean, he's the hill right now in professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Um, and smart by WWE, great strategy here. Uh, not only are we going to put Dom, who's the most hated guy right now in WWE, or in wrestling period, but now we're going to make them at the end of the night. So you're going to, we want people to stay engaged and stay tuned to what's going to happen throughout the night. So yeah, man, uh, absolutely. Great spot there. Hey, your girl, big time Bex is in action. Becky Lynch taking on Zoe Stark. What uh, the stipulation. With the stipulation. If she wins, she earns a match against Trish Stratus. But if she doesn't, I mean, then she has to get a thank you tattoo on her chest. Like those are big stakes. Hey, what do you think about? I really like the chemistry with Stark and Lynch. I thought they had a, a good match here, um, and I, I, I could see some some uh, money uh, in Stark down the road uh, as a main event player later on. But um, I enjoyed this match, man. I really did. Um, I'm a Becky Lynch fan as well, and um, she ends up getting the win, so she is going to go on and take on Trish Stratus at uh, SummerSlam. So. Uh, I know you're a big uh, Becky Lynch fan. How do you like the direction of her not being in the title picture? How do you like this storyline? Well, I mean, I think it's it's great right now because, I mean, um, to be fair, there are some fans that uh, don't like that Charlotte's always in the title picture, but haters going to hate the queen. All hail the queen. Becky Lynch, uh, she's close to that tier of Charlotte, but to see her being able to um, – just um, do um, something with an up and coming uh, superstar from NXT is Zoe Stark because Zoe Stark has a great look, a nice physique. And um, yeah, with time and if she grows, yeah, I, I do believe what you said. Zoe Stark will be a, a potential main event player in the women's division because she does have a good look and eventually you can turn her face. But what she's doing right now with Trish is just, Great work and learning from Trish and taking the cues from her is great and will help her in the long run. Yeah, a match kind of in the works for the previous Monday Night Raw when Adam Pierce booked it was Tommaso Ciampa taking on Bronson Reed. Um, kind of a little under underwhelming for me considering we've been pretty high on Bronson Reed and I've been a good fan of uh, Tommaso Ciampa. One thing I got out of this was I was surprised he did the Famouser. Did you catch that? I mean, obviously, if you watched it, you know, you definitely saw this, but um, that kind of caught me off guard. Um, maybe he was paying homage to Billy Gunn, who uh, was been in the news about hanging up his boots. He took up his boots at a recently recent wrestling show where they lost the match over there in that other company. And he teased a uh, uh, retiring from pro wrestling. So I think maybe he was paying homage to him. I don't know, but needless to say, Bronson Reed still gets to win. And um, yeah. What's your thoughts on this match here? This match was my favorite match of the night. The way Bronson Reed was just. You're, you're kidding me. Your favorite. Yes, I I enjoyed it. I the the moves that Bronson Reed was doing for his size, I was like, oh my gosh! Like I I'm not gonna lie, it was it was probably one of my favorite matches, if not my favorite match of the night. Because I mean, Tommaso coming back, you know, from an injury and things like that, and they they went they went at it, and I was just very entertained with this match. I I, I just enjoyed it so much, and I know that surprised you, but I I love that match a lot. 
Hey, what's your thoughts? Uh, did you think Shinsuke Nakamura was going to get involved here? I think they're ready to turn him heel again. I hope they do it better this time versus when he was heel with AJ Styles going for the title because he would just do the low blow. I hope if they make him truly heel, they just let him just be a heel and not and not to do low blows because we don't need wrestlers to be always just doing low blows. Just, but it, I, I think that's the route they're going is that he's gonna become heel and maybe have something to do with Champa down the road. Yeah, we'll have to see. Hey, we also get the agreement match with Logan Paul and Ricochet. Uh, so that thing is set up for uh, SummerSlam. Um, that's one thing that we're going to talk about on uh, next week's episode when we talk about the SummerSlam card. Um, and we'll talk some more on that. Don't want to spend too much time on, on here other than Ricochet accepts the uh, SummerSlam challenge. Um, but yeah, is there anything you want to kind of add here? Or is this something... We can kind of touch base uh, later. Touch base later. And then a quick squash match, because we're going to get through this real quick. Um, sure. Mr. Uh, Senor Money in the Bank uh, took care of Apollo Crews, no problem. I mean, I think that was just a filler match. Keep- and they're building Demi and Priest up still. So yeah. it was good. Apollo Crews, it was nice to see. And it was refreshing to see him back on the Raw card, because he hadn't been on there for a, for a good while. It seems like a year, over a year, for sure. So, um, again, this was just a, 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 you know, it was kind of, it was two, two part, right? Got Apollo Cruz back on the main card, but then also it's still building up that free steam. Yeah. But then my favorite part, even though that match was with um, Imperial and then Drew McIntyre coming in the ring and with, um, I mean, he, I mean, I love the ring general, but Kaiser and how he's like, I demand you not talk to our ring, General. I mean, I love Kaiser. He cracks me up. I mean, he's just so good. Did you like um, uh, Corey Graves' uh, personation of Kaiser when he's just like, and I'm going to do a drop kick? And it was just making me laugh. Did you enjoy that at all when he was uh, doing his uh... – No, that was great, man. And apparently – uh, Ludwig is somebody's favorite. It's Drew McIntyre's favorite. In fact, Drew McIntyre says, man, actually, I like you the best. Like, why aren't you the leader type deal? So that was good stuff there. Um, and they end up having a match uh, as well on Raw. It's uh, Ludwig taking on Drew McIntyre, man. And um, they're really trying to, you know, get Drew McIntyre some steam around. And this is one of those matches. I, man, I, I really don't know. Is it, you know, I'm starting to kind of think, man, does Drew McIntyre have a chance to win the IC belt? And we'll talk about that on next week's episode as we break down SummerSlam. But um, again, just like Priest, Drew McIntyre is getting a little steam to make you think, well, what if he can take down the ring general? Um, any thoughts on uh, anything else on Raw? I know we had the final segment uh, having Cody Rhodes come out and, um, you know, he's talking about um, his his uh, his match coming up with uh, Brock freaking Lesnar. Um, what's your thoughts on Cody here? Is, is you you liking this? You kind of hoping this kind of comes to pass, or um, you know where where does Cody fit on the picture with Raw when it comes? Because he's kind of the face right now between him and Seth Rollins. Yeah, I mean, well, Cody's got to do most of the work, but since Brock has a limited schedule, so. Um, the fans are so interested in when Cody comes out and says, what do you want to talk about? And he has to fill that up since Brock Lesnar is not at all shows. 
And uh, yeah, I think it's 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 doing well. They're not getting tired of them. I, I think everybody's just ready for the rubber match between Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes to see uh, where we go after this. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think they're doing it fine. And then we also had, I guess, maybe the final encounter, or we might get another one between Seth freaking Rollins and Finn, and they they they're just going at it. Finn's being a lot more aggressive, and um, does he have a shot with the Judgment Day there? I mean, he might, you know. But um, yeah, we'll have to talk about our predictions on that one because uh, I definitely have a uh, some creative storyline there. I think maybe it's on other people's mind too. Uh, but hey, let's talk about it real quick because I know that we just have tons of information we're going over before SummerSlam uh, or next week's SummerSlam. We're going to be talking about SmackDown here in a minute, but uh, let's get to it, man. Main the main event here: Dominic Mysterio, Sami Zayn, the NXT North American Title. Um, good match, and we know that Sami is is definitely carrying the match. But man, Dom has some good spots here. I mean, he's he is getting better. I mean, you look at him from one year ago uh, today. Um, he's uh, definitely um, improving in all facets of his game. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's doing really, really well. And um, it's just uh, like you've know, stated before, it's great to see the, when someone can elevate somebody else to make the performance even more better than you would think it could be. Um, so, uh, I mean, they're just doing really, really well um, with him um, going forward. But yeah, no this doubt. Match, yeah, this match, I mean, it, it it lived up. I mean, you know, you have Kevin Owens out there and Sami Zayn. Of course, you have the Judgment Day and, um, you know, Dom's just doing heel things when he's in the corner, like saying, hey, wait, stop. And, you know, trying they're trying to distract the ref to help Dom any way he can, you know, to get it against, you know, one of the tag team champions um Sami Zayn so Tom is getting this heel character I think over really really well no doubt he gets the win um so he's uh he's progressing man he's getting some steam on him especially uh when you get a win over Zayn regardless if it was clean or not um you know the company like you said the company putting him in the spotlights at the main event and then putting a strap on him um says a lot so yeah. Dominic Mysterio getting the win on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I think the only thing before we transition to SmackDown is there is a possibility. I don't know if it's storyline, but it they were saying that Kevin Owens might have hurt himself and now the tag team titles might be in jeopardy. I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, it looks um, like it could be maybe at SummerSlam or after that Zayn and Owens could lose the tag team titles, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah, I think with those two, I think the titles, you know, they're they're holding on to them right now, right? And they're a good transition team. Uh, in the long run, I don't think they should be t- the title holders. They're, they need to go back to those single runs. There's a lot that they can uh, do as far as the single runs, too. And uh, they can be elevating individuals as well. Um, but they definitely, you know, are a transition tag team and they're a strong tag team. So don't get me wrong on that as well. But um, Hey, let's jump over to Friday night SmackDown. That was just last night. Um, thoughts on SmackDown as a whole. It was, uh, it, it was pretty good. I mean, I like how they did the face to face right from the beginning. 
And, you know, they're already calling Jay Uso main event, Jay, when he comes out. And, oh, it takes Roman off. Oh, I love it. And and I love how they just went at it. And he's like, you know, you hurt my brother. You did this. And now I got to get you. You're the one that broke up this family. Of course, Roman tries to spin it and basically say, hey, if, if Jimmy wasn't hurt when we first started this, he's like, you wouldn't have been the right-hand man. He's just trying to play those mind games. Of course, Sola always trying to get his brother, but Jay's always ahead and super kicks him. And then. You know, that kicks off uh, SmackDown to um, go into our finals between uh, Santos Escobar and Rey Mysterio to see who's going to fight the now Austin Theory for the United States Championship. And, man, and how uh, unfortunate of this, man. How unfortunate Rey Mysterio suffers an apparent injury. Man, these injuries are, are calculating up whether they're storyline or not. But yeah, Santos Escobar, and I talked highly of him. This is huge, even even with well, I don't know. Does it devalue his appearance as far as like is it really putting him over by winning against Mysterio here? Because it was a stoppage, not a clean win or anything. But uh Escobar defeats Mysterio uh via uh referee stoppage here because of the injury to Rey Mysterio. And Escobar is going on uh a challenging Austin Theory for the title. Um, what say you about this? I mean, the match was going great, and it I, was a part of me was thinking like, "Ooh, Escobar's going to turn heel uh, or something like that." But when you come down to it, was Ray supposed to win? I don't know, but it looked like he, whenever he did the suicide dives, uh, Escobar to Ray, that he hit the back of his head. And I think it was a concussion. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I saw, but could it have been? It, it did look legit. It did it for sure. And, and then even in the ring, it looked like Escobar was crying. And because, you know, they didn't get to finish the match or whatever. But, hey, and the way Vince used to say it back in the day, the show must go on. And even if that wasn't uh, the outcome that was supposed to happen, so be it. You can you can work on that storyline because last week Escobar beat Austin Theory non-title for one, two, three. So he's already beaten them. Hey, um, man, next, next man up. Hey, next man up mentality. They're going to, whether he was supposed to win or not, uh, Escobar is going to be facing Austin Theory. And to be honest, that's something I, I personally kind of want to see. Um, I think it's going to be good. I hope it is. Uh, I hope it lives up to my uh, expectations for those two. It's not super high, but it is kind of high for those two. But we'll have to see here. Um, so, well, let me talk to you. I knew you were going to say L.A. Night, baby. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. um, he comes out uh, to fight Adonis, part of um, – Oh, oh my God! This hit row, hit row. No, I know. I wasn't gonna say oh. that, but yeah, I just I got in in memory because I don't know if LA Knight was gonna get in trouble because when he came out and talked about the fresh print and he didn't know that um, Uncle Phil was. Oh, was, Uncle Phil! <laughs> and then when he said that about uh, B five or what's her what's her name? Oh, B five. Yeah, and he said the H word. I was like, oh, is this? She's a little corny, but I think under her lawn, she's feeling a little, you know. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> hey, but what the mega star wants to say, I guess the mega star can say because everybody knows that it, it's all about LA night. Yeah, and he got that victory, and of course, the crowd is going wild. I mean, they have to strike now. The the iron is hot, he needs to be in something, and which we'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah, I mean, great match for that, and uh, then of course. Your favorite tag team for now 12 days, women's 
uh, tag champions, Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville, were in the back talking smack to the EST of WWE. And she's like, we could do this, you know, one, two, three, and let's go. And then, of course, the queen comes out and be like, I'll tag with you because I need you to be 100% at SmackDown. But it looks like Bianca doesn't want anything. So Charlotte goes, I'll go talk to Adam Pearson. Lo and behold, the queen gets her way. We have a tag team match against the tag team champions. Yeah. What, what do you think about this, Karen? Because I want to see uh, Bianca and Flair uh, throw down. And here they are tag teaming together. And and this is kind of WWE-esque where they um, make two pairings even though they're going to be fighting each other down the road. Um, but what about here right now? Is that a good call? I mean, you have to because uh, I mean, Charlotte doesn't care, but you could tell that the AST does not want to tag with her, does not like Charlotte Flair. Not Charlotte at all. Blames her, uh, you know, for her not getting the title when she fought Asuka. I mean, um, I mean, it's great. I mean, they, they tagged really well. And um, of course, you know, if it's fair or not, because again, you have these keyboard warriors, you got these tag team champions, and and they're a good tag team. I mean, they put them together and they're meshing well, Chelsea and Sonia. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be Charlotte Flair. No Ooh. way. Did you notice how the fans were really behind her on that hot tag? Oh yeah. At the okay. end, they were really on her side, which is would, which which is kind of surprising in a sense because, like you said earlier, sometimes the fans, depending, it's kind of hit and miss with Charlotte. More so, fans are feeling kind of like Roman-esque back in the day uh, at Mania 32 when we went, where you're kind of shoving down the throat too much of Charlotte or too much of Roman back then. Uh, but this was kind of nice uh, change of heart of the fans and getting really behind her because she really brought it, man. Charlotte, fantastic uh, performance last night. Yeah, hey, someone with not so much performance, man. I, man, I just don't know. I mean, I talk about this guy and I feel bad for him. Killer Cross taking on Carl Anderson here. Uh, Killer Cross gets to win. Uh, he shows off a new uh, finish maneuver. Uh, what do they call it? Prayer. He called it the dead gum. And he's got a new finisher. I got to go back and watch it. Yeah, I remember. Was not the, the final prayer or something? Final like prayer or something like that. Yeah. And they're trying to repackage this guy too much. But that was kind of cool. Pump handle slam to a converted almost like an F5 or F5? something. F5? Yeah. It, it was kind of something different. I don't know. It just felt like it was a long time to develop because you went from this transition to a pump handle slam to that. Um, I, I don't know, man. I just – I lose hope in Karrion Cross, And I like the guy. We met him. I Actually, speaking of Mania 32, that's when we first met him. Um. I don't know where he falls on the card. I, I don't know. I just really don't know. Uh, I hope they can. he can figure it out one day, or the company can with him. He's just really lost his luster. Um, yeah, somebody. Sure. But, oh, um, go ahead. But you got to think, like, they're still trying to do the AJ carrying across. And to me, I, I, I think the ship has sailed. I do, too. Because next, what, is he going to fight the big LG? Um, AJ needs to be uh, feuding with somebody else, but I guess this is the, the road they want to go down. So I guess we'll have to see where, where they're going. So somebody I've been high on for the past couple of weeks here in the main event, again, just like Dom, this guy has been put in the spotlight uh, with the likes of edge and Cena on the mic. And then all of a sudden he's in the main event here on SmackDown, Grayson Waller. Hold doesn't on, look... Kev. Hold on, oh, Kev. Wait, wait, hold on. What are you what are you talking? 
I want to talk about Grayson Waller. Before you get to the main event, you have to talk about how LA Knight is so hot and he went back to Adam Pierce that they announced they're going to have a battle royal at SummerSlam. And LA Knight's like, you got to put me in that US title match. So it looks like LA Knight and then Sheamus came involved because he says banger after banger. And it looks like they're the two participants, but I don't know what's going to happen, but that's going to happen at SummerSlam. And then LA Knight was just like, so me against Sheamus. And then Sheamus was like, yeah, I thought that was <laughs> no, Yeah, you're right. That, that was hilarious, man. Uh, but I was just going down the card, but yeah, you're right. Hey, man, LA Knight and Sheamus, how fun is that going to be, man? That, that's going to be fun. Now I'll get back one of those... to your main event, but we had to make sure we told that because they are going to have some kind of battle royal. We don't know what the stipulation is going to be for the winner. But Grayson yes. Waller would be so disgusted at you. I was putting him over, and all of a sudden, you just you, you're talking about LA Knight. You know, he was he he was three weeks old now. You know, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, LA Knight is definitely that's going to be fun, man. He's definitely a fan favorite and over. Um, Waller, man, I really thought he. He had a really great match last night with uh, Jay Uso, man. This was main event Jay taking on Grayson Waller. And again, just like Dom, like I was saying, Grayson, somebody sees something in this guy because here he is in the main event. Doesn't look the part yet. I think he needs to work on the body a little bit, but definitely has great mic skills. And um, his in-ring performance I thought was great last night. Uh, booking him against a veteran like Jay, um, and he can learn from this. Uh, it's not a bad idea, man. Um, I really liked Grayson Waller here at this spot. I, I can't say enough about him. Uso gets the win. The tribal chief comes down thinking he's going to interrupt. You're thinking for a split second, at least I was, that Waller was going to get the win, by the way, uh, but did not happen. And, uh, man, that crowd was hot, man, especially after the match when Solis Sakai and, and Roman get in the ring and Jay, you know, uh, super kicks uh, – so uh, Sakai out of the ring and then he gets uh Roman with a spear and then he gets up on top rope and he's about to he's about to do the splash on him and here comes Solo Sakai back, throws him off the ring. Here we go. He gets the spike in the spear with between the two on uh main event J and the tables turn real quick for him at the end. But uh, going back to the match again, I like the Waller and Usa match here, and then um this really sets up Jay getting a victory here um, and going on to face Roman next week at uh, SummerSlam. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I got a question for you. Um, I don't know why you call him, but Solo Sokoa. Sokoa. What did I say? Solo Sakai? You always I was say thinking, Solo Sakai. Solo you know who Sokoa. I get? It's Dakota Kai. That's where I'm getting the two crossed up. No, yeah. Solo Sokoa. Sorry. I'm sure some of these listeners like, does does Big Kev not know his name? Solo Sakoa, Solo Sakai. I'm like, oh my God. Is, I'm blending in with Dakota Kai. I do apologize, but yeah. So it's interesting how they they finish this SmackDown because generally, when uh, the last uh, well, it's not the last one, but when you get close to the the last um, show, whether it's Raw or SmackDown before premiere live event, usually whoever goes over doesn't get the win at the at the premier live event so i don't know but jay's been having uh roman and solo's number for the past couple of weeks so i'm guessing they're just changing it up but yeah in a nutshell i mean smackdown was was really well um again roman reigns deserves an oscar on how he was getting mad when they're like you got pinned you got pinned he's like pick him up and they give him another uh simone spike and a spear 
And I love how Roman just plays to the crowd. And hopefully when Roman came out, we just saw him with the Undisputed Universal title. The other two titles were in the back. So maybe they're going to leave him in the back and just uh, showcase the main title now. I don't know. But overall, did you enjoy SmackDown? Yeah, absolutely. I actually finally got to watch it live. In the past couple of weeks, I've been having to, you know, DVR it, if you will, you know, look at it. But last night, I got to watch it live. Um, I enjoyed it, uh, especially at the end segment, man, uh, with the main event, with main event Jay, as he could be possibly the head of the table going forward. We'll have to see. Um, and we'll break that down on next week's episode uh, with our SummerSlam uh, preview and our predictions. But uh, other than that, man, this wraps up episode 42 with fanboy Dave and big Kev. And uh, we hope to uh, uh, catch you down the road next week for episode 43. See ya.